Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Feminist Fiends in Quarantine Quint. You do that? Ah! I know! I'm literally so self-obsessed. I'm like, Quarantine Quarantine Quint. Okay, five, six, seven, eight... Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Quinn. And I'm Nellie. Today, we're missing our co-host, Pate, whom we love and adore and are thinking about. Pate needed to step away for a mental health day, and we just wanted, with her permission, of course, we wanted to highlight that on the show today to remind everyone out there that mental health is super important, and we hope that this podcast is providing people with a space to recharge academically and have some fun with us. But as always, feel free in the midst of these crazy times to take a step away from the things that you're doing and prioritize your mental health like paid is. And Nellie and I will probably do the same for future episodes, but we love and miss her. We just wanted to explain that. Um, We love you. Um, and to all of our followers and hashtag fans, I love sounding pretentious. Whether it's your first time listening or your eighth in a row, thank you for tuning in. Please follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode and reach out to us on Instagram at Feminist Beans. Now that housekeeping is out of the way. To continue our At The Movie series, today we're unpacking one of mine and Nellie's go-to pick-me-up films, Someone Great. Written and directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson and starring Gina Rodriguez, DeWanda Wise, Lakeith Stanfield, and Brittany Snow. Before we launch into this episode, we want to encourage all of our listeners to continue to donate, sign petitions, protest, and make calls in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. As in previous episodes, we'll finish out with a few action items and suggestions for ways to get engaged. So be sure to stick with us. All right, let's get going. Let's. So after rewatching this movie, which honestly has been, as you said, somewhat of a favorite movie, movie night go-to since it came out, and after doing some more reading on it um, than I had done ever before, I read about the meeting behind the title, Someone Great, which Courtney Howard closed her, cl- closed her Variety article with, um, which we'll talk more about that article mm-hmm. later on the podcast. Um, but Howard, Howard explains how, quote, The film's title serves as a twist on the genre's expected formula of girl gets boy, girl loses boy, girl gets boy back. The titular, is that how you say that word? Titular? I think that's how I say it, but I don't know if that's just Southern team. If you're out there, let us know how to say it. Yeah, because I, I don't. Titular is funny because it sounds like tits, but that's just me. So, anyway, WGS major. The title, Someone Great, isn't referring to the guy jenny wants back in her life but rather who she's striving to be in this world yes it's a lesson that services the head and heart in equal measure hitting home the poignant profundity of this portrait i love alliteration thank you courtney howard thank you courtney howard in which robinson captures the struggle to maintain autonomy in a time of upheaval with staggering insight and empathy And I know we were talking about this beforehand, how we kind of both had similar reactions to this title, but essentially this, this kind of explanation in itself was so moving to me because a breakup can totally throw someone off balance 
and make it so they cannot focus on themselves. And truthfully, I always thought that the title was alluding to someone great being wrapped up in the hope of finding love, um, which is something that rom-coms are always really grounded in. And I never imagined that this title will be a way of Jenny reclaiming her autonomy and picking herself up about the grief of her relationship. And so for me, like, especially having gone through that, like, grief that that um a breakup can or like an end of a friendship or like the end of your college career being uprooted like (laughs) like experiencing any of that it like throws your entire life off balance and you can't focus on anything that can elevate yourself and so for me like for that to be the meaning of the title was like huge and I'm, I'm glad that I learned that through this podcast. (laughs) I agree. And for me personally, I'm like a rom-com fiend. I'm a rom-com fanatic unabashedly. Like it's gotten to the point where in quarantine, I, rom-coms are always my go-to. Like if I'm watching Netflix, there's a 93% chance I'm either watching a rom-com or the West Wing, which is neither here nor there. Me me except with Grace, but yes. Yes. But (laughs) when I'm gotten to the point where when I'm looking at lists of like top romantic comedies of all time I've watched all of them like that was me last week and I was like what do I do now (laughs) and so I think that for me with the title it was something that never even came to my mind like I was just like yes truthfully like I honestly always mix up the title and I'm always like something great (laughs) like I always will call it that and I think now knowing like the actual meaning of the title is I mean, it's more or less would be the same meaning, but for me, knowing the, I think that'll help me remember the actual title of the movie, which if I'm considering mm-hmm. it to be one of my favorites, I should know. But I'm always like, oh yeah, we're watching something great. Like I was like, I hope I don't mess it up when we're recording this podcast because I always refer to it as the wrong thing. Woo, that was a mouthful. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> but I guess that kind of, I had a, picking up where you left off, I had a similar reaction to this article and it made me do a lot of finger snaps like some beaten it coffee shop finger snaps because I love when my own worldview is expanded and my understanding of romantic comedies which sounds like such a small and silly and trivial thing but I love the way that this podcast allows us to research and connect um, with like the deeper meanings of things so like yes this is a fun Netflix romantic comedy breakup film but there is a lot of power in that and identifying with these female characters. And I think that that connects really well to the title, which begs the question. So as we said, this is one of my favorite movies, one of Nellie's favorite movies. And I think that for me personally, and Nellie, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. For me personally, I don't know why I connect to this film so much, but it's been in my, I mean, it came out in 2019, but it's been like a landmark film for me. Like I watched it, when I was abroad in Prague, yeah, I went abroad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. DM me for pictures. But when I was abroad, I was like really struggling because it was my first time ever really leaving home in that way. I've lived in the state of Tennessee my entire life, go Vols. So it was a really hard transition and it came out while I was over there. And mm-hmm. it was something that I would turn on before I went to sleep. I just really relied on it to like give me a pick me up. And <laughs> The day after we found out, actually, that we would not be able to return to college for the final piece of our spring semester, I went over to my sister's house, and we had a wine night 
a movie night with her roommate and they let me pick the movie and I chose this one, which is actually really interesting because as Howard points out, (laughs) it's my breakup. Honestly, yes. (laughs) Not coming back to college was the most traumatic. It's the worst breakup, breakup I've, ever, I've ever gone through, for sure. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's <laughs> that's the cheat. But as Howard says, it's kind of interesting that I see this through this lens because it is a breakup film. So mm-hmm. what about it resonates so deeply with you? And why do you think we keep coming back to it? You know, for me, like we've talked about this in previous episodes, but how just like our perspective or how our how we've been shaped to think about female friendships and I think for me someone great provides really healthy examples of what strong female friendships can look like and and still flawed friendships like I'm not like I'm not saying that Erin Blair and Jenny's relationships are perfect by any means but I think like having experienced any element of of grief whether it's through a breakup or through the end of college or through like like a friendship ending even like that like not being something that runs its course the way that you think it will yeah and like having people to like fall back on and that will truly like drop everything for you and like being able to do that for someone else um and just kind of how the the movie kind of toes the line between women living their truth and also like being able to be emotional about loss and um and for me like I think the movie is both empowering and like sensitive to emotion and to me like I very much resonate with that because I think how Jenny experiences her breakup is not unlike how I've experienced one so for me I think that's why I like it but truthfully like similar to you I was I mean, no, I was not abroad, so it's not completely similar. But I remember when, um, like, shortly after this movie came out, I was interning in D.C. and um, just, like, didn't really have a lot of money to do all the all the things that <laughs> I might have liked to do. And yeah. so, like, this was something that I'm pretty sure I watched this movie at least four times that summer with different people. And so just to have one of those things where you're like, hey, have you seen this movie yet? We should watch it. And I think yeah. originally someone said that to me. Like, that's what happened is someone was like, oh, my gosh, you need to watch this movie. And so it I is also... – no, go ahead. I also think that I – connect to this film because I see myself in each one of the women and it's honestly typically when they're being problematic because we're all flawed humans but it's like I love that scene towards the end when it's not like a full-on fall apart scene that we see in typical rom-coms involving women like it's not like a bridesmaids fallout but it is some like okay we're all best friends we love and adore each other but this ish has got to end and we're going to start calling each other on it Mm -hmm. and I just resonate so deeply with Blair in that moment when she's like yeah guys like let's just like go have fun and like dance but I love the way Nellie you and I were talking about this before we started recording I love the way that that scene plays out and the way that those friendships play out because oh my gosh I see myself in every single one of them except when it comes to their fashion choices I promise I'm a feminist, but I simply must say this. When they're doing their dancing montage, which is one of my favorite moments in the film, like, I watch it to make me feel happy. I'm like, they are serving so many looks, 
And then the looks that they land on really confuse me. I know there's that one dress that Erin has that has all this color and like yeah. shine in it. And I, as I was watching it, like rewatching it, having watched it multiple times, I was like, that's the one she picks, right? Like I was like trying to like get ahead of myself and remember the like outfit she ends up choosing. And when it wasn't that, I was like, okay, yes, this, like in the end, really Aaron's outfit was my favorite, but also like with the Probably red jacket and the red I'm, skirt. I'm but sorry, I was just but like- Ginny and, um, Ginny and Blair looked bad. They were just like, I think they were trying too hard to- coordinate with each other and I like almost I don't know no shade like I really do love like all of the fashion and um like decor throughout the movie like I really loved all of it yeah. and it's something that I, wh- we can talk more about this but like when um Robinson the director the writer and director was interviewed for NPR she essentially explains how like the movie wouldn't have been what it was if it hadn't if it had been through like a major production agency out of like Hollywood as opposed to like Netflix like Netflix made the movie like what her vision was for it Mm. in terms of like the people that ended up playing these characters the like plot and like Nate and Jenny not ending up back together spoiler sorry if you haven't watched the film but you should it's so good it's so good and just kind of, like, the general, like, quality, like, if she wanted to have the plot and the, um, and the cast, but, like, she had done it through, like, in, like, an indie film, like, that, then she would have had that, but she wouldn't have had, like, the quality of, like, the decor and the fashion that, like, we yeah. And then if she had done it through, like, a major film production agency out of, um, Hollywood or something like that they would have had all of the quality and and this like aesthetic that we like so much but like it would have had a more typical rom-com scenario play out and so for me like I was hearing her say that was really interesting because um just because I was like oh okay like yeah that kind of makes sense like the the kind of agency that she had in in making her own movie through Netflix was really awesome to hear but actually I want to just touch back on what we were talking about in terms of female friendships and what we were talking about before recording I want to read so essentially I'm referring to um NPR all things considered with um with Artie Shahani she interviews um Jennifer Robinson who is the writer and director of the film and Shahani says Quote, in terms of the dynamic between the three characters on the screen, they're not precious with each other. They're not earnest. They're constantly poking. They're going at each other. They're ruthlessly funny, but zero cattiness. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Robinson's response, and I apologize because this is like the verbatim (laughs) um, response. So if I trip over some things, that's why. Quote, yeah, thank you for saying that. That was important to me. I feel like I, especially about millennial women and young women, I feel like time and time again, I'm watching the show about women and I'm like, I know you're telling me they're friends, but I don't think they are. I think they hate each other. And I really want to make sure that even in the moments where they're coming for each other and coming for one another and upset that it's rooted in a place of like very deep love. And that's how I am with my friends. It's never malicious, and I think there can be malice in and competition in movies about women where, you know, you need that moment where they all fall apart, and they all yell at each other, and they're really mad. I just didn't want that for this. 
end quote. And I was saying to Quinn before this, when I was listening to All Things Considered um, about someone great I and the specific quote I was thinking about Quinn and I was like oh like Quinn has never I wouldn't ever say that Quinn Quinn you've like come for me but (laughs) quote unquote like I don't really but I do think like we're real with each other in a in a way that is like very healthy and important in a successful friendship and I think that when and like the only time you see these characters like talking about one one another without that person in the room it's out of like deep concern for that like it's not any kind of like cattiness or talking behind each other's backs which is like I think something very much like rooted in toxic female friendships I think that's so interesting and to your point as I've grown up I'm I'm a very conflict avoidant person for everyone listening I don't know if you can relate to that um but as I've grown up and grown into my female friendships, because this is something we talked about a little bit on the Legally Blonde episode, like female friendship has always come pretty easily to me. I find myself gravitating towards women in friendship spaces. Um, But as I've grown as a person and as a woman and into my intersectional feminism, I realized that the way that I know that a friendship can last and I feel really comfortable and trusted in a relationship is if I feel like I can bring up issues that are kind of like rubbing me the wrong way Mm -hmm. and I think that stems from me not wanting to be quote-unquote catty so I feel like I need to be able to trust you to show my true vulnerable sometimes upset and angry womanly self and I think (laughs) that this movie does a really good job of showing that which is so interesting especially in the context of this movie takes place in such a small time container. Like it is only 24 hours. And Mm -hmm. yes, with flashbacks and things, we're able to get more of a timeline there. But I just thought that that was really genius in showing how quickly strong female relationships can bounce back. Like you can be loving and drinking brain juice mimosas with your best friend and ditching work one second and then be getting upset with them and calling Mm -hmm. them out on their shit and they're doing the same to you. And it's still okay. Like, you don't need a year or an entire movie that spans, like, 20 years, like, when Harry met Sally, to show how strong these relationships are. Because although each of the women are in romantic relationships, and literally every single one of them are messy, honestly, I guess the only quote-unquote happy, like, rom-com ending that we get is with Aaron and Leah. Yeah, we do get that with Aaron and Leah, and... I mean, we honestly get a happy, it's not a rom-com ending, but we get a happy ending with Blair. And I think it's really interesting to see, I think the movie highlights like three specific outcomes of relationships. Yeah. It's like bad, break, bad breakup, like healthy breakup, even though it was not a healthy relationship. And then- Are you talking about Blair and- Blair and Will? What's his face? I don't know. The guy from SNL. Like, shout out to you, you're an actor. I don't remember the name of your character. <laughs> your name. I don't remember you at all, but shout out to you. But great work. We're I'm sure you're fans. listening to Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. So. Yeah. Um, send our work to Lauren Michaels. We're so excited to be guest starring. Thank <laughs> you for the invitation. Uh, <laughs> um... So yeah, unhealthy, like, or, like, sad, messy breakup, like, like, healthy, happy breakup with an unhealthy relationship beforehand, and then... And then Blair, like, moving on to having another romantic option. Right, right. So she's kind of, like, in her, like, 
she's really just right in the middle. That girl is in a liminal ass space. Yeah. And then you have Aaron and Leah who are like making really huge strides in their relationship. Oh, can I just say, They're Leah so is literally the best character in this film. And I wish that she was on screen more because she and Aaron's chemistry, A, just makes me smile and it makes mm-hmm. me chortle because of how confident we see Aaron, especially in those first scenes when Blair's like holding her feminist mug and is like, I really need to show the audience that like I am a badass woman. Right. And then Aaron's sitting there like drinking out of a toilet mug and is like, leave your heteronormative labels in a forking box. I don't think we can say the F word. I'm just going to say fork. You can. Forking box. And we see her so like confident and on top of her shit. And then when we see her in Leah's boutique, I loved that character arc. Like seeing her be placed into a moment of vulnerability of being like, and having really uncomfortable conversation, I was like, I, in that moment, relate to Aaron because you can be the woman that's like giving your friends all this relationship advice, but then when you're placed in a position of vulnerability, it can be so scary. And so I just loved Aaron and Leah. Shout out to them. I wish that they would do a sequel and like fulfill my rom-com dreams and like make it about Aaron and Leah um, at Netflix. Please get on that. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I simply just needed to say that I love Aaron and Leah, and that's all. I'm their yeah. fan club. On the same, so kind of in line with, like, reasons for breakups or ways we interact in relationships, particularly romantic ones, on this All Things Considered episode, Shahani asks Robinson, quote, do you feel like you've had an experience where you try to make yourself smaller to make your partner feel bigger to salvage your relationship? And I thought this question was so important considering Nate and Jenny's relationship. And while their relationship is somewhat glorified throughout the movie, and we really get like that full structure of a rom-com through these flashbacks yes like they look perfect in those first flashbacks they really do it and you're like oh my god they're so cute i want them to last like hopefully they end up together at the end spoiler they do not but also it's for the best and like ultimately the relationship ended because she got her dream gig and also they were not working out like in the end they needed to break up And, like, I just love to talk about this ongoing pressure for women to make themselves smaller for the sake of men. And this isn't to say that if Jenny hadn't, if Jenny hadn't taken this job and, like, chosen her relationship, I'm not saying, like, this is not to say that, like, Yes, people make sacrifices for the sake of their relationship. Like, that is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I don't. That's not inherently anti feminist. No, and I'm not, and I don't wanna say that because, like, I, there's so many people I know and love that have done that. Like I've done that, like it happens. Yeah. But ultimately like Jenny makes this decision for herself and throughout the movie, you see this conflict of her, like when, when she and Nate are having this conflict, she is kind of just like, okay, like let's just make this work. And in doing that, she's making herself smaller. So, um, and really we don't see much compromise from Nate. Like we see the compromise coming from Jenny. And I just think this is an, is an ongoing theme in society. So I don't know what more we have to offer to it, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, literally as Nelly was reading this out, I was dancing over Zoom. That's right, we record via Zoom. Um, if anyone wants to sponsor us so we can get real podcast gear, um, 
my yeah, Venmo is I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anywho, message us of my favorite well again going back to the west wing because i'm obsessed with the west wing i think i've brought this up in the podcast before but if not i love the west wing i'm watching it literally earlier in this episode you have but (laughs) perfect but it makes me think of this monologue that cj craig gives who's the white house press secretary which is like my dream job not for this current administration uh but at any other point um she gives this whole monologue about how, as a woman, when she was growing up, she would wait by the phone for men and make herself really small for them because she wanted their attention and she wanted them to love her. And then she realized that she would get male attention by becoming powerful and by being strong. And that wasn't the main reason that she became so successful, but it was like a thought in the back of her mind. And then she has this moment where she's finally at a position where she's literally one of the highest ranking officials in the white house and can't find a romantic partner because at this point she's not willing to compromise for her relationship. And inherently there's some expectation of compromise in all relationships. Like that is absolutely necessary. And by the end of that series, spoiler alert, she ends up with someone and they have to have this really real conversation about it's give and take. And Mm -hmm. she has this whole moment where she's like, well, I'm 40 something. I think I've missed the window to be able to fit someone into my life because at a certain point, I think that women especially are conditioned to believe, even Blair believes this at the beginning of the movie, there is a timeline. There's a timeline Mm -hmm. to fall in love, to be in a relationship, the time that you get married, the time that you start a family. And so if you're not on quote unquote on track with those things, you kind of have to adapt and do your own thing. And this question just resonates with me because I agree. And this is something that my perspective has shifted on because if you would have talked, this is so embarrassing to say, but if you would have talked to me freshman year, I would have been like, I'm going to be so powerful. Like literally like no man can like come for me, like, uh, like compromise what, like he's going to be like the stay at home dad, which shout out to stay at home dads, shout out to stay at home moms. We love like y'all. both of them do the hardest job in the world. But looking at it now, I'm like, I'm a person who really values relationships and commitment to those relationships. And this is a trope that goes back in romantic comedies all the way to like the 30s and 40s. I recently watched Woman of the Year with Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn. Honestly, new favorite, one of my new favorite movies. And it essentially like Katherine Hepburn plays like this badass female diplomat who speaks like eight languages and is at the forefront of civil and foreign affairs for the United States and then she marries this guy who is a baseball reporter and the final scene is just awesome it's her like cooking breakfast trying to be like I will give up everything so that I can be with you like I want to be a good wife and he's like I don't want you to do that I want you to if you think that that's what I want it's not I don't want you to be like this forefront woman who forgets all about me but at the same time I don't want you to just be my wife Right. But it's interesting to look back on it. It's been almost 80 years since that movie came out. And these are issues that women are still grappling with today. Mm-hmm. I also think what's really, well, I think there are so many things that are awesome about this film. I feel like there are stuff where you're like, expect, where you expect them to like talk about it more and they don't. Like yeah. they just like, like for example, in terms of like, I can't remember exactly how she puts it, but in that same, um, conversation with Shahani and Robinson like Robinson talks about kind of smashing like the sex sexual expectation that entertainment sets for women and how Mm -hmm. like 
they're like how movies will be like you have to wait a certain window before calling someone back or like yeah like don't be a hoe I hate that word but like like don't like just go and have sex for pleasure and like the reality is women have sex for pleasure like newsflash if you're listening and you didn't know this like I'm sure you all do if you're interested in this podcast but like I don't know like it's just absurd that like it's something that is I've talked about Quinn's probably heard me talk about this so many times but it's just something that is acceptable for men like like sex having a sex drive is like something that's expected of men and for them to act on it is fully acceptable whereas when women do it it's like ooh, like like crazy Blair who's like I can't be with this guy because I'm old I can't be with this guy only because I'm sexually attracted to him I need to be in this stable relationship even though he drives me crazy right and that's, like, why when – oh, sorry. Like, when no, Aaron does, like, catch them in the bathroom, like, Literally, in the end, she's just, like, get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, and even Jenny's, like, oh, cute. Yeah, literally, like, they're just happy for each other. And, like, there is romance connected to that. But, like, and but I feel like it doesn't always need to be connected. And I think that that's an important thing to recognize. It's really different for every person about what, like, their – like, the relationship between – sex and romance well and that actually just sparked something in my mind that I hadn't thought of before but that's really interesting because we do see correct me if I'm wrong I mean I watched it last night but I can't remember I want to make sure that I'm saying this correctly but we see Jenny even if even though it's just in flashbacks we see her have sex with Nate and we see Blair have sex with Matt but we never see Leah and Aaron have sex like it seems like Aaron's really empowered on the sex side of things. Mm-hmm. So her struggle is with love, but it kind of, we had a conversation before about, yes, we love the character of Aaron and it's great that an LGBTQ relationship is highlighted in the film, but mm-hmm. why do we have to enter this film through a heteronormative lens and like view it through Jenny and Nate's relationship? And so I think that that could even be framed as a failing if it's like, yes, we're, we're okay with talking about Aaron being a sexual being, but we're not going to highlight that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And in the end, like, Aaron really is, like, just from a entertainment standpoint, like, the most, I think, the most beloved character. Yeah. And, like, like you suggested, to have, like, a sequel with that kind of shows the future of her and Leah's relationship and just, like, the future of them as individuals would be, like... I think a hit. Like, I don't think that, like, I don't know. A hit. A hit. (laughs) Get (laughs) him. Um, but yeah, no, I think, and this kind of goes back to what Robinson was saying. I, I keep drawing back on this conversation, but it was helpful. Like the movie wouldn't have been what it was without Netflix, but I'm also, and I'm like, yes, it's very, progressive in terms of how we think about female friendships in terms of representation but Mm -hmm. again like you're saying it's going through a very heteronormative lens so well and now as we even as we've been talking about it I wonder if part of the reason that I would want to see more of Aaron and Leah besides the fact that I think that they were portrayed wonderfully and written wonderfully I wonder if some of that stems from the fact that I feel like I saw Blair in a romantic context with Matt I saw Jenny in a romantic context with Nate and maybe that's something that I feel like I want to see explored more because we didn't see it explored as 
fully in the film as I would have liked to. Um, yeah, it alludes to it, but I don't think we don't really see we don't it. see the. I took one creative writing. I it. took one creative writing class in college, Flip's hair, and we learned about being told something as opposed to being shown something. And mm-hmm. I think that as a viewer, I really wanted Leah and Aaron to be shown on screen together more. Um, so another point that I was thinking about, and I mean, full disclosure, I think I've made it clear that I am a huge Someone Great fangirl. And just as Erin is deeply obsessed with her friends, I myself am deeply obsessed with this film. But one thing that stuck out to me in rewatching it right now, I think that this comes from quarantine as well, because especially when they were at the Neon Classic, I was like, ah, put on masks. But also, like, the idea of going out and drinking and partying with your friends seems so foreign to me right now that I think I pinged on it more than I have in the past. And I promise I'm not an arc. But something that really stuck out to me is the incessant use of drugs and alcohol through the film. And I find it interesting that female drunkenness is often used as a kind of trope in romantic comedies, Mm -hmm. especially if characters are typically, like, quote-unquote, like, uptight. Um, because it allows women to become uninhibited and behave in a quote-unquote unladylike ways, unladylike ways, and it, like, I think of Lainey and sleeping with other people, Jess and New Girl, Mm -hmm. life as we know it, like, the list goes on and on. So do you find it in this movie to be problematic? Why or why not? And what do you think it adds to the plot? Or is, like, honestly, is getting drunk and getting high inherently feminist? <laughs> Grandmommy, you can turn off the podcast at this point. She probably should have turned it off already because I said I talked about sex a lot. Sex. But, <laughs> um, but let's normalize it. You know, I actually noticed more than I had in the past. And again, I think it is what you're saying, the quarantine element of it. But I did notice the drug and alcohol use more than I had. and. But honestly, thinking back on it, the use of alcohol and drugs is never for the purpose of, not that there would be anything wrong with this, but it's, like, not for the purpose of, like, going out and getting laid. It is, like, we're with our friends, like, we're going to pregame really hard for, and, like, look really cute for this event that we go to every year and we love, and... We're going to, even though they don't necessarily, we're going to stick together for this. And so, like, for me, I almost would argue, and I don't think it does a perfect job of doing this, but I think someone great somewhat reclaims the ability to get drunk and high in a way that doesn't make you an example of the, like, typical, like messy drunken woman which there's nothing wrong with being that way either but I also think because I don't know if I'm making sense but I also think because like female friendship is such a huge theme of the movie and we know how like how much these women support each other I think it's not concerning like the level of consumption because like regardless they find their way back to each other although there is that moment where Jenny is asleep in the park and Uh -uh. I was like uh uh or even when she leaves the party without her friends right right and like we know that she's in like she's in okay hands with matt because like we know that like 
as an audience he is like a like as an audience yeah because also like i something that i noticed last night that i hadn't really know well actually no i had noticed it before when matt and blair are hooking up in his office and she's like we shouldn't and he's like if you really want to stop i'll stop and i'm like yes yes consent at least like that is what consent is if you have any question that's literally it like if you have, if you're unsure, if, if someone wants to, like, be getting down, then be like, oh, let me take a step back hey, and stop. Hey, do you not want to get down? Right, exactly. <laughs> and so for me, I was like, I, when she was in the car with Matt, I was like, okay, she's in fine hands with Matt. He's, like, kind of a douche, but he's a good person. Like, I don't worry about yeah. him with Jenny. And you're also like, okay, like, hopefully he has this loyalty to Blair that he's alluding to him, like, having. Yes. Well, I, I, I more so mean in your point made me think of something else typically like when drugs or alcohol are used in movies or shows at least in my experience it's not so much so that women can be more like sexually promiscuous and like uninhibited in that arena it's more so used as like a trope to get the audience to see them as someone who's uninhibited but inherently that's typically through the male gaze like especially in sleeping with other people like I can't remember if Lainey's drunk or high, but she, like, leads kids in this really fun dance at a kid's birthday party, which is just, like, a funny scenario to be in. And so we see through the main character's eyes, like, the potential love interest eyes, like, his understanding of this woman just explodes. Like, wow, she's going to med school and can boogie and loves children. That, like, for some reason, the movie was like, we can't show this side of her without this crutch. Or even a new girl, like, when Jess gets hit with that plank and is on pain meds and finally admits that she wants to like pursue something with Nick again it's used as like a plot point and a jumping off point for the audience to see these women as uninhibited but I think you make a great point that this movie is so rooted in female friendships that it's not so much about how the audience is seeing them or how the men around them are seeing them it's about them supporting each other and what they need and I love when Jenny writes in her First of all, that I'm gonna be honest. Like the Nate, the note that she writes Nate on the subway is a little too woo woo sappy pants for me. Yeah, me too. But like, but I cute. get it. <laughs> and I and I thought that it did a good job of explaining that behavior of being like, this is not necessarily something that is going to continue forever. This is just something that I needed to self medicate, and I'm recognizing right now that like that's not the best. Also, grandmommy super turned this off at this point. Also, maybe mom and dad. I don't know. Uh, You guys can listen. But this makes watching them drink that much. I was like, we went to Swanee, which is a well-known party school. How did they last that long? I don't know. They really. I was thinking that too. And and also, she had been drinking since she woke up. And that was something that, like you saying this, I'm like, I feel like you either walk the line with this sort of behavior you either walk the line of like cool girl trope which we've talked yes. about or you or like unladylike or again lines only have two sides but let's pretend they have three um or <laughs> you walk the line or like you're self-medicating and you might have a substance problem like i'm kind of yeah. like okay yes maybe if you give yourself one day of behaving like this after a breakup that's fine but like it should not necessarily be like, leaning on your friends the way that Jenny does should be how you get through your breakup. And, like, yes, like, having some something to drink. But she really, like you're saying, does have so much that it's, like, overwhelming. And I'm, like, 
I'm concerned for your health and your well-being. <laughs> like, well, it makes me think of this Instagram account. I want to think, I want to say that it's called um, Tell Other Stories or something along those lines. And it talks about the normalization of excessive drinking in our culture. Mm. And so it'll be like pictures of clothes at Target that are like wine. Don't talk to me until I've had my glass of wine or like wine about it and stuff like that essentially being like if you're someone who's caught in the cycle of addiction or you're coming out of it you really recognize how incessant this messaging is and so Mm -hmm. again I promise I'm not a narc not that there's absolutely anything wrong with being a narc live your truths but it's something that I've become more cognizant of and aware of in my own life of like how am I perpetuating and how am I participating and this culture that tells me that in order to be fun and uninhibited and ladylike, there needs to be alcohol involved. Yeah. So that's just something that I wanted to bring up because I really pinged on it this watch. Okay, one last question. It can be quick. Um, so uh, b- both the Variety, NPR, and Medium um, all kind of describe someone great as like this modern romantic comedy um, mm-hmm. that kind of centers women um I guess like do we think that someone great is, has set the stage for a new genre of rom-com have we seen others come out that are like it since then again we did not prepare this question so we may not have those answers and that might be more so an, a question for our audience but I'd just be curious um to hear your thoughts especially since you do love this movie so much mm, I think it's interesting because I feel like the move, this movie itself, Someone Great, had a bit of a branding crisis because mm-hmm. even in the trailer, it's like a Netflix breakup romantic comedy film. Like it had to create its own genre and its own pathway. I think that's a great question. I think that it's definitely helped reshape and reinform our understanding of what a romantic comedy can be because thinking about romance as a genre, you think that there needs to be romantic love like inherent to it, but I love the idea of expanding the genre to be romantic as something that's like kind of idealized and something that you're exploring things through these lenses of people that you really relate to and admire and sometimes want to punch in the face, but you love and you love their journeys and you want to see more of how they're connecting with other individuals, whether that be on a romantic plane or otherwise. So I'm trying to think. I generally didn't have an answer to this question, but. Well, I, I, there's a movie that I'm like specifically thinking of. <laughs> it makes me think of the Netflix movie that just came out, the half of it, in which it centers around a male-female friendship. But the woman is closeted. They're both in high school and they're both like a little offbeat, a little quirky. And the woman is helping this guy get his dream girl while she herself is in love with the same woman. And the way that that plays out is really beautiful and kind of cool because although it's centering around a male-female relationship, it's not romantic between the two of them. And it doesn't try to force romanticism in that aspect. So I love this question. And I think that it's something that's constantly evolving. But as a rom-com connoisseur... I would love to see more variation in the drama and see where everything can expand and grow. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
and I'll have to watch that movie because I haven't. But I agree that while I do like the occasional rom-com and I, I guess in terms of, I'm really such a TV person. So it's really hard for me to be like, I don't know that there's a specific genre of movie. That's like my favorite. And if I had to pick it, probably, I probably tend to lean towards rom-coms, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm a connoisseur by any means. But (laughs) I think that part of what, if anything, part of what would keep me from watching multiple, like, time and time again would be that they tend to have this like same structure and so I think that's what's so wonderful about something great oh my god see I did it someone great (gasps) (laughs) is that just it has this kind of alternative ending that is really empowering and centers itself around friendship not and not to say that's never happened but I think it does it in a really powerful and empowering way but oh, I'm going to watch this movie again, probably. We're literally going to watch like, it again tonight. <laughs> it's so good. Watch it if you haven't. Um, highly recommend. 11 out of 10. Um, so as promised, we have some action items for y'all. Um, I think Quinn's going to get us started. Yeah. As we wa- wrap up this week, I'm promoting the Black Trans Advocacy Coalition, which is also known as BTAC. Um, Founded in 2011, they are, quote, the only national organization led by Black trans people to collectively address the inequities faced in the Black transgender human experience. Their National Advocacy Center and affiliate state chapters work daily to end discrimination and inequities faced in health, employment, housing, and education to improve the lived experience of transgender people. BTAC's work is based in peace building, community education, public policy initiatives, empowerment programs and direct services, end quote. So these services are crucial now more than ever. According to the Human Rights Campaign, 91% of all transgender murders were against Black trans women in 2019. I will be donating in memory of Tony McDade, Nina Pop, Monica Diamond, and the many other trans individuals we have already lost in 2020 thus far. I encourage you to join me. While I also have specific organizations to plug, I want to continue to emphasize how available these resources are. If for some reason you're still unsure of a place to start, Google is your best friend, and so are Instagram and Twitter. Resources are constantly being circulated, so there is no excuse to not do your part. For instance, In the Know, Marie Claire, and The Cut, to name a few, have all compiled helpful lists of Black-led LGBTQ organizations to support right now. I would like to plug the Queen Culture Initiative, whose mission is to, quote, promote the social and cultural empowerment of transgender women of color. We aim to empower and celebrate the richness of black and brown transgender women by fostering community, articulating and binding joyful futures for transgender women of color, end quote. Um, To learn more about the Queen Culture Initiative and to join me in donating, please visit queenculture.com slash donate, and queen is spelled with a K. So that's K-W-E-E-N-C-U-L-T-U-R-E dot com slash donate. Additionally, if you are not in a position financially to donate right now, there are still ways to support the movement. The Cuts resource list, which we are linking in this episode's description, includes virtual events you can take part in. For instance, AIDS Walk New York is streaming a live interactive broadcast in lieu of a physical event. Visit their homepage to learn more. And finally, to close out the show, as always, we have a quote from the film. 
Um, From the cringy monologue that Nellie and I both just shaded. (laughs) It's inspirational. We'd like to leave you with an inspirational quote as opposed to saying, like, some of the funny shit that Aaron says. But, because ultimately I'd love to leave you with that, but we want to send you into your weekend with some inspiration from Jenny's sappy monologue. So here it is. (laughs) Quote. I guess sometimes things don't break, they shatter. But when you let the light in, shattered glass will glitter. This has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Thanks for Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>